Section 25 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4 by James Boswell, Section 25. On Monday, April the 29th, footnote monday is no doubt put by mistake for tuesday which was the twenty ninth boswell had spent a considerable part of monday the twenty eighth with johnson End of footnote. i found him at home in the forenoon and mr seward with him horace having been mentioned boswell there is a great deal of thinking in his works one finds there almost everything but religion seward he speaks of his returning to it in his ode parcus deorum cultur et infrequens johnson sir he was not in earnest this was merely poetical boswell there are i am afraid many people who have no religion at all seward and sensible people too johnson why sir not sensible in that respect there must be either a natural or a moral stupidity if one lives in a total neglect of so very important a concern seward i wonder that there should be people without religion johnson sir you need not wonder at this when you consider how large a proportion of almost every man's life is passed without thinking of it i myself was for some years totally regardless of religion it had dropped out of my mind it was at an early part of my life sickness brought it back and i hope i have never lost it since footnote he told boswell that he had been a sort of lax talker against religion for some years before he went to oxford but that there he took up law's serious call and found it quite an overmatch for him this he said was the first occasion of my thinking in earnest of religion after i became capable of rational inquiry during the vacation of seventeen twenty nine he had a serious illness which most likely was the sickness that brought religion back. End of footnote. Boswell. My dear sir, what a man you must have been without religion. Why, you must have gone on drinking and swearing and... Johnson, with a smile. I drank enough and swore enough, to be sure. Seward. One should think that sickness and the view of death would make more men religious johnson sir they do not know how to go about it they have not the first notion a man who has never had religion before no more grows religious when he is sick than a man who has never learnt figures can count when he has need of calculation i mentioned a worthy friend of ours footnote mr langton end of footnote whom we valued much but observed that he was too ready to introduce religious discourse upon all occasions. Johnson, why, yes, sir, 
he will introduce religious discourse without seeing whether it will end in instruction and improvement or produce some profane jest he would introduce it in the company of wilkes and twenty more such i mentioned dr johnson's excellent distinction between liberty of conscience and liberty of teaching johnson consider sir if you have children whom you wish to educate in the principles of the church of england and there comes a quaker who tries to pervert them to his principles you would drive away the quaker you would not trust to the predomination of right which you believe is in your opinions you would keep wrong out of their heads now the vulgar are the children of the state if any one attempts to teach them doctrines contrary to what the state proves the magistrate may and ought to restrain him seward would you restrain private conversation sir johnson why sir it is difficult to say where private conversation begins and where it ends if we three should discuss even the great question concerning the existence of a supreme being by ourselves we should not be restrained for that would be to put an end to all improvement but if we should discuss it in the presence of ten boarding-school girls and as many boys i think the magistrate would do well to put us in the stocks to finish the debate there lord hales had sent him a present of a curious little printed poem on repairing the university of aberdeen by david mallock which he thought would please johnson as affording clear evidence that mallock had appeared even as a literary character by the name of mallock his changing which to one of softer sound had given johnson occasion to introduce him into his dictionary under the article alias footnote mallock continued to write his name thus after he came to london his verses prefixed to the second edition of thompson's winter are so subscribed malone alias a latin word signifying otherwise as mallet alias mallock that is otherwise mallock the mention of mallet first comes in johnson's own abridgment of his dictionary in the earlier unabridged editions the definition concludes often used in the trials of criminals whose danger has obliged them to change their names as simpson alias smith alias baker etc End of footnote this piece was i suppose one of mallet's first essays it is preserved in his works with several variations johnson having read aloud from the beginning of it where there were some commonplace assertions as to the superiority of ancient times how false said he is all this to say that in ancient times learning was not a disgrace to appear as it is now in ancient times a peer was as ignorant as any one else he would have been angry to have it thought he could write his name footnote perhaps scott had this saying of johnson's in mind when he made earl douglas exclaim 
at first in heart it liked me ill when the king praised his clerkly skill thanks to st bothan son of mine save gawain ne'er could pen a line in the footnote men in ancient times dared to stand forth with a degree of ignorance which nobody would dare now to stand forth i am always angry when i hear ancient times praised at the expense of modern times there is now a great deal more learning in the world than there was formerly for it is universally diffused you have perhaps no man who knows as much greek and latin as bentley no man who knows as much mathematics as newton but you have many more men who know greek and latin and who know mathematics Footnote. johnson often maintained this diffusion of learning thus he wrote the call for books was not in milton's age what it is in the present to read was not then a general amusement neither traders nor often gentlemen thought themselves disgraced by ignorance the women had not then aspired to literature nor was every house supplied with a closet of knowledge he goes on to mention that general literature which now pervades the nation through all its ranks that general knowledge which now circulates in common talk was in addison's time rarely to be found men not professing learning were not ashamed of ignorance and in the female world any acquaintance with books was distinguished only to be censured of the essay on criticism pope declared that he did not expect the sale to be quick because not one gentleman in sixty even of liberal education could understand it the gentlemen and the education of that time seem to have been of a lower character than they are of this yet he maintained that learning has decreased in england because learning will not do so much for a man as formerly End of footnote. on thursday may the first i visited him in the evening along with young mr burke he said it is strange that there should be so little reading in the world and so much writing people in general do not willingly read if they can have anything else to amuse them Footnote. Malone describes a call on Johnson in the winter of this year. I found him in his armchair by the fireside, before which a few apples were laid. He was reading. I asked him what book he had got. He said, The History of Birmingham. Local histories, I observed, were generally dull. It is true, sir, but this has a peculiar merit with me for i passed some of my early years and married my wife there i supposed the apples were preparing as a medicine why no sir i believe they are only there because i want something to do these are some of the solitary expedients to which we are driven by sickness i have been confined this week past and here you find me roasting apples and reading the history of birmingham End of footnote. 
there must be an external impulse emulation or vanity or avarice the progress which the understanding makes through a book has more pain than pleasure in it language is scanty and inadequate to express the nice gradations and mixtures of our feelings no man reads a book of science from pure inclination the books that we do read with pleasure are light compositions which contain a quick succession of events however i have this year read all virgil through footnote on april the nineteenth he wrote i can apply better to books than i could in some more vigorous parts of my life at least than i did and i have one more reason for reading that time has by taking away my companions left me less opportunity of conversation End of footnote. i read a book of the aeneid every night so it was done in twelve nights and i had great delight in it the georgics did not give me so much pleasure except the fourth book the eclogues i have almost all by heart i do not think the story of the aeneid interesting i like the story of the odyssey much better and this not on account of the wonderful things which it contains for there are wonderful things enough in the aeneid the ships of the trojans turned to sea nymphs the tree at polydorus's tomb dropping blood footnote. he told mr windham that he had never read the odyssey through in the original fox said rogers used to read homer through once every year on my asking him which poem had you rather have written the iliad or the odyssey he answered i know which i had rather read meaning the odyssey End footnote. the story of the odyssey is interesting as a great part of it is domestic it has been said there is a pleasure in writing particularly in writing verses i allow you may have pleasure from writing after it is over if you have written well but you don't go willingly to do it again Footnote. composition is for the most part an effort of slow diligence and steady perseverance to which the mind is dragged by necessity or resolution and from which the attention is every moment starting to more delightful amusements of pope johnson wrote to make verses was his first labour and to mend them was his last he was one of those few whose labour is their pleasure thomas carlyle in eighteen twenty four speaking of writing says i always recoil from again engaging with it five years later he wrote writing is a dreadful labour yet not so dreadful as idleness End of footnote. i know when i have been writing verses i have run my finger down the margin to see how many i had made and how few i had to make he seemed to be in a very placid humour and although i have no note of the particulars of young mr burke's conversation it is but justice to mention in general that it was such that dr johnson said to me afterwards he did very well indeed i have a mind to tell his father footnote 
Miss Burney wrote to Mrs. Thrale in 1780, I met at Sir Joshua's young Burke, who is made much ado about, but I saw not enough of him to know why. Mrs. Thrale replied, I congratulate myself on being quite of your opinion concerning Burke the Minor, whom I once met and could make nothing of. Miss Hawkins reports on Langton's authority that Burke said, How extraordinary it is that I and Lord Chatham and Lord Holland should each have a son so superior to ourselves. End of footnote. To Sir Joshua Reynolds, dear sir, the gentleman who waits on you with this is Mr. Crookshanks. Footnote. Crookshank, not Crookshanks. He had been Dr. Hunter's partner. He was not elected. Northcote, in quoting this letter, says that Sir Joshua's influence in the academy was not always answerable to his desire. Those who are of some importance everywhere else, he said, find themselves nobody when they come to the academy. End of footnote. Who wishes to succeed his friend, Dr. Hunter, footnote, William Hunter, scarcely less famous as a physician than his youngest brother John Hunter as a surgeon, end of footnote, as professor of anatomy in the Royal Academy. His qualifications are very generally known, and it adds dignity to the institution that such men are candidates. Footnote. Let it be remembered by those who accuse Dr. Johnson of illiberality that both were Scotchmen. Boswell. End of footnote. I am, so your most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, May the 2nd, 1783. Footnote. The following day he dined at Mrs. Garrick's. Poor Johnson, wrote Hannah Moore, exerted himself exceedingly but he was very ill and looked so dreadfully that it quite grieved me. He is more mild and complacent than he used to be. His sickness seems to have softened his mind without having at all weakened it. I was struck with the mild radiance of this setting sun. End of footnote. I have no minute of any interview with Johnson till Thursday, May the 15th, when I find what follows. Boswell. I wish much to be in Parliament, sir. Footnote. In the winter of 1788-9, Boswell began a canvass of his own county. He also courted Lord Lonsdale in the hope of getting one of the seats in his gift, who first fooled him and then treated him with great brutality. End of footnote. Johnson. Why, sir, unless you come resolved to support any administration, you would be the worse for being in Parliament, because you would be obliged to live more expensively. Boswell. Perhaps, sir, I shall be the less happy for being in Parliament. I never would sell my vote, and I should be vexed if things went wrong. Johnson. That's cant, sir. It would not vex you more in the house than in the gallery. Public affairs vex no man. Boswell. Have they not vexed yourself a little, sir? Have not you been vexed by all the turbulence of this reign, and by that absurd vote of the House of Commons, 
that the influence of the crown has increased is increasing and ought to be diminished footnote on april the sixth seventeen eighty a day wrote horace walpole that ought forever to be a red-lettered day mr dunning made this motion it was carried by two thirty three to two fifteen End footnote. johnson sir i have never slept an hour less nor ate an ounce less meat i would have knocked the factious dogs on the head to be sure but i was not vexed boswell i declare sir upon my honour i did imagine i was vexed and took a pride in it but it was perhaps cant for i own i neither ate less nor slept less johnson my dear friend clear your mind of cant footnote johnson defines cant as one a corrupt dialect used by beggars and vagabonds two a particular form of speaking peculiar to some certain class or body of men three a whining pretension to goodness in formal and affected terms four barbarous jargon five auction i have noted the following instances of his use of the word i betook myself to a coffee-house frequented by wits among whom i learned in a short time the cant of criticism every class of society has its cant of lamentation milton's invention required no assistance from the common cant of poetry we shall secure our language from being overrun with cant from being crowded with low terms the spawn of folly or affectation this fugitive cant which is always in a state of increase or decay cannot be regarded as any part of the durable materials of a language in a note on part one of henry the sixth act three scene one he says jerome is supposed to be derived from the cant of vagabonds who often pretended a pilgrimage to rome End of footnote. you may talk as other people do you may say to a man sir i am your most humble servant you are not his most humble servant you may say these are bad times it is a melancholy thing to be reserved to such times you don't mind the times you tell a man i am sorry you had such bad weather the last day of your journey and were so much wet you don't care sixpence whether he is wet or dry you may talk in this manner it is a mode of talking in society but don't think foolishly footnote custom wrote sir joshua or politeness or courtly manners has authorised such an eastern hyperbolical style of compliment that part of dr johnson's character for rudeness of manners must be put to the account of 
scrupulous adherence to truth his obstinate silence whilst all the company were in raptures vying with each other who should pepper highest was considered as rudeness or ill-nature the shame is to impose words for ideas upon ourselves or others see ante where he says there is a middle state of mind between conviction and hypocrisy bacon in his essay of truth says it is not the lie that passeth through the mind but the lie that sinketh in and settleth in it that doth the hurt End of footnote. i talked of living in the country johnson don't set up for what is called hospitality it is a waste of time and a waste of money you are eaten up and not the more respected for your liberality if your house be like an inn nobody cares for you a man who stays a week with another makes him a slave for a week Boswell. but there are people sir who make their houses a home to their guests and are themselves quite easy johnson then sir home must be the same to the guests and they need not come here he discovered a notion common enough in persons not much accustomed to entertain company that there must be a degree of elaborate attention otherwise company will think themselves neglected and such attention is no doubt very fatiguing Footnote. i dined and lay at harrison's where i was received with that old-fashioned breeding which is at once so honourable and so troublesome mr pleydell in guy mannering says you'll excuse my old-fashioned importunity i was born in a time when a scotchman was thought inhospitable if he left a guest alone a moment except when he slept End of footnote. he proceeded i would not however be a stranger in my own county i would visit my neighbours and receive their visits but i would not be in haste to return visits if a gentleman comes to see me i tell him he does me a great deal of honour i do not go to see him perhaps for ten weeks then we are very complacent to each other no sir you will have much more influence by giving or lending money where it is wanted than by hospitality on saturday may the seventeenth i saw him for a short time having mentioned that i had that morning been with old mr sheridan he remembered their former intimacy with a cordial warmth and said to me tell mr sheridan i shall be glad to see him and shake hands with him boswell it is to me very wonderful that resentment should be kept up so long johnson well sir it is not altogether resentment that he does not visit me it is partly falling out of the habit partly disgust as one has at a drug that has made him sick besides he knows that i laugh at his oratory footnote it is recorded that johnson said sheridan's writings on elocution were a continual renovation of hope 
and an unvaried succession of disappointments according to the gentleman's magazine seventeen eighty five he continued if we should have a bad harvest this year mr sheridan would say it was owing to the neglect of oratory End of footnote. End of section 25.